Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, our, our text this morning begins in verse 1 and extends to verse 16. Our scene this morning has a particular place associated with it, this place known as Gabbatha, uh, the stone pavement, the place of Pilate's judgment, as we see yet another step that Jesus takes on the road to Calvary. And he goes on this journey, not for his, himself or for his own sins, but, but for you and me. And so we need to ask the Lord to affect us this morning. We, we're not desiring simply to, to understand details of the text. We, we want our hearts to be moved and our wills engaged. Because as Jonathan Edwards observed so long ago, true religion consists in the most part, for the most part in, in, in religious affections, in holy affections. As our affections are stirred and our wills are moved, then we, we engage in holy practice. We follow after Jesus. That's what we long for this morning. And so we need the Lord's help if, for that to happen. Let's ask him for his help. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we do come once again as your people desiring to hear your word, the very word of the Lord. And so, Father, through the Son, send your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray, illuminate our, our hearts and minds so that we might see glorious riches in this portion of your gospel. Indeed, Lord, as the text directs us, grant us grace to behold the man, Jesus Christ. If we ask it in his name. Amen. So John chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it was given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, 
Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar! So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This scene continues on from what we saw last time. We're still in the Praetorium, Pilate's headquarters, likely a magnificent palace that was built by Herod the Great in the western part of the city near the Jaffa Gate. This is all happening in the morning hours, sometime between six and noon. The synoptic writers will place the crucifixion of Jesus near the third hour, nine o'clock, John near the six. But whether earlier or later, it's, it's all happening in this moment. And all the proceedings will culminate in Jesus being brought out to Gabbatha, to the stone pavement, the place where, where Pilate officially rendered judicial decisions. It was a raised platform where a, a judgment seat was set. Pilate would assume the chair and issue his verdict. He would condemn Jesus to death. But really this entire scene serves as a series of judgments because the innocent Jesus is being paraded before the entire world, both Jew and Gentile. Indeed, in the eyes of the world, the world that hates Jesus, they're directed to see him, directed to appraise him, and ultimately, they condemn him. But not just the first century world. No, my friends, this morning you were invited to behold Jesus, to look at him, to consider him, to appraise him. What will you do with him? What, what verdict would you render concerning Jesus as, he, as he's present not on the stone pavement, not at Gabbatha, but upon these stone plates? Here in this place he stands. Over and again, John has been trying to tell you who this Jesus is. These things are written, he tells us that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ? What does it mean that he's an, the anointed one? What does it mean that he's the Son of God? What does that mean for you? What judgment will you render concerning Jesus this morning? Because your eyes, indeed the eyes of the entire world, are being directed by Pilate, directed here to Gabbatha, urging us to behold the man. Of course, Pilate says this to the Jews in verse 5, as he brings him out. Behold the man, look at him, see him, stare at him if you must, behold the man. What would... What would they have seen when they looked at Jesus? What would they have seen as they looked at this one who is the word 
become flesh, the God-man. Well, they would have seen him as the suffering one. Pilate had had Jesus flogged, scourged, beaten with whips, with lashes. For the Romans, there was no requirement of 40 lashes minus one. No, no, there was no, no rule, no law to restrain the Roman hand. And so lash after lash after lash would have been applied to Jesus' back until it was utterly flayed. The skin pulled back, the muscle exposed. He would have been a bloody pulp. But they didn't stop there, these Roman soldiers. No, they bring out a robe to add on to Jesus' humiliation. This purple robe, or likely scarlet purple, dyed with the costliest of dyes. Only those who had the money to, to, to offer to, to, to dye such a robe could, would have the power to actually wear it. Royalty, majesty, and, and the Roman soldiers, have, having flayed Jesus' back, placed that robe. How did it sting? And they placed it over him. And then they crowned him with a crown of thorns. One of the soldiers would have found a common thorn bush, perhaps thorny burnet, taken some of the thorns, plated it together with a crown and thrust it upon his head, piercing the brow so that the blood starts trickling down his face. His back is flayed. And then the soldiers begin hitting him, back-slapping him, and front-slapping him, and punching him. And as they did so, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! Mockingly, maddeningly. And then they bring him out. Here's what Roman power looks like. Here's what human cruelty looks like. As you see him beaten and bloodied and berated, Pilate calls to the crowd, calls to you this morning, behold the man. Friends, look at him. Behold him. Stare at him. What do you see? What do you see? You see the perfect human. You see the one who is the Son of Man. This is the one who had said to Nathaniel at the very beginning of the book that, that Nathaniel would see angels descending and ascending upon the Son of Man. This is the one who told Nicodemus, Nicodemus in the midnight hours that no one is ascended into heaven, but the one who has descended from heaven, namely the Son of Man. This is the one who sought out the blind man after he was healed. And said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And when the blind man saw Jesus, he bowed down to him and worshipped him. That's who this is. When you behold the man, you see this Son of Man, but you see him in his suffering. So friends, see him as he is. Stricken. Smitten. Beaten. Abused. See him this morning. And cry out, ah, holy Jesus, how hast thou offended that we to judge thee have in hate pretended? By foes derided, by thine own rejected, oh, most afflicted. Because friends, that's what you see when you behold him. 
When you behold the man, you, you see here the suffering one. But you also see him in his sorrow. Isaiah had told us that this suffering servant would be one who would be a man of sorrow. In Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. and We esteemed him not. As Jesus stood before his own people, these ones whom he had made as their creator, these ones to whom he had come as their redeemer, what did he hear them say? Verse 6, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him. Crucify him. Friends, was there ever sorrow like Jesus' sorrow? To be presented in clear relief as the suffering Savior? As the man who bears the wrath of God only to hear his own people call out for his crucifixion? How alone Jesus must have felt on that day. Abandoned by his disciples. Abandoned by his own people. Abandoned even by these Jewish leaders. These chief priests and scribes who should have known better. But not just abandoned. They demanded his crucifixion. They demanded his cursing. Because cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. They wanted the divine curse to come upon the perfect, innocent Jesus. What scorn this is. What shame, what sorrow was his. Behold the man. Look at him. See him. And consider this morning, why is this happening? Why is this happening? Well, the Jewish leaders tell you. Because he made himself the son of God. Of course, that's not quite right. Jesus doesn't make himself the Son of God. No, he is the Son of God. This one who is the suffering one, this one who is the man of sorrows, he is the Word who became flesh. And why does he endure this? Well, so that he might save his people from their sins. And how would that happen? How would it happen that through Jesus' suffering and sorrow, he would save his people from their sins? He's already told us over and again in this gospel. For example, in John chapter 12, he said, I, when I am lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Don't you see? The divine human Jesus, in his suffering, in his sorrow, in his death on the cross, it's for you. He he does bear the divine curse, and he does it so that he might draw you to himself. He came to carry your sins, because my friends, the lashes were yours. The crown of thorns was yours. The mocking was yours. The shame, the scorn, all yours. He bears it so that he might draw you to himself. So that he might be your savior. And so friends, look at him. See him. Behold the man. Behold the man. And behold your king. Indeed, the second time Pilate directs our attention to Jesus. By telling us to behold, to direct, to see 
It's, it's different from the first. The first, behold, a man is in the midst of a festival of blood. It's part of a mocking, frenzy carnival of hatred. But this time, though this time it's a formal judgment of law. It's the considered condemnation of the court. It's the ruthless rejection of the mob. For, for Pilate comes forth from the praetorium. And he comes to Gabbatha. He comes to the stone pavement. And he, and he enters in to sit at the bema. To sit at the judgment seat. And he puts Jesus, the man, the son of God. God himself, he puts him in the dock. And the blood is dripping from his face. And his back is covered with a robe and yet shredded. His features are so disfigured that those with weak stomachs have to turn their faces away. And Pilate, the judge, calls to us, Behold your king. Behold your king. And the response is to condemn him. Condemned. Who condemns Jesus? Certainly the Jews do. In verse 15, behold your king, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. The Jewish chief priests and other officials, they condemned Jesus. They wanted him dead. They wanted him to bear the divine curse. And so they cry out with wrath, with anger, with frenzied hatred, crucify him. The Jews condemn him. But the Romans do as well. Indeed, the scene ends. So Pilate delivered Jesus over to them to be crucified. Here, the Roman law condemned Jesus also. And so who condemned Jesus? The Jews? Yes. Gentiles? Yes. In other words, the entire world, Jew and Gentile, the entire world condemns Jesus. And not just the entire world as represented in the first century, but all of us through all space and time, we condemned, we crucified. And yet who ultimately condemned Jesus? Who ultimately condemns him? God does. God does. The Apostle Paul will later tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice Paul says not simply to bear sin, but to be sin. If you will, he becomes sin incarnate. As the sin bearer, he takes all of our sin and all of our sinning, all of our wayward wants and all of our willful waywardness, and he becomes so identified with our sin that God looks at Jesus as sin. And God condemns sin in Jesus. He condemns sin in Jesus, so that Paul will later say in Romans 8, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And why? Why, why did God condemn sin in the flesh of Jesus? My friends, I ask you, why is the king condemned? It's for you. It's for you. It, 
It's all for you. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place, condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. This is your Savior. This is your King. Behold him. Look at him. See him as he stands condemned in your place. That's your place in the dock, your place in the court, your place before the judge. But your king was condemned for you. Not just condemned, though, but also rejected. Pilate asks these Jewish leaders, these chief priests, these these keepers of the law, shall I crucify your king? And they say horribly, horrifically, we have no king but Caesar. God is not our king, though he brought us out of Egypt and has ruled us for thousands of years. And, And Jesus is not our king. No, Caesar is our king. Here you have horribly what John tells us at the very beginning is a warning in John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own received him not. This is the final gruesome verdict at Gabbatha. For you this morning, there's time to render a different verdict. It may be that, that you're here this morning, and, and you have to confess that through your life, you've You've said the same thing to Jesus. I have no king but myself. No, no, no. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. I do what I want. I take what I want. I desire what I want. I believe what I want. No man rules over me. No God rules over me. I am my own king. How's that been working for you? Not to say that there haven't been moments of joy. Not to say that you haven't known measures of goodness. It's been God's grace to you. But in your determination to be your own king, hasn't it been the case that there have been those moments of emptiness because God has put eternity in your hearts and you've been trying to fill it with temporal things that will never satisfy you? And isn't it the case that in those dark moments when you reflect And maybe it's only at this time of the year as the seasons change and and you're brought back to think about what Christians do at this time of the year, thinking about the cross and the empty tomb. And you're here this morning and, and part of it's because in those dark moments you've reflected, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me when the one who's in the in the who is in the dock is now the one who sits on the judgment seat? What's going to happen to me on that day when King Jesus sits on his throne and his bima and he has every man and woman and child before him and he judges and he divides the sheep from the goats? What will happen to me? Isn't that your thought? Aren't you fearful of the verdict that will be rendered in that last day by this king who was crucified and yet will be your judge? Listen, there's still time. Now's the appointed time. Today's the day of salvation. You can change your verdict. Instead of saying, you know, I have no king but myself, you can bow the knee and say, Jesus, I love you. I submit myself to you. You are my king.
It could be you're here this morning and you've made that profession at some point, but you've been running away. You've, you're backslidden and you have been charting your own course. And though at, when you were seven or 17 or 27, at some point you said, yes, Lord Jesus, I love you. I want to be your follower. And you did follow after him for a time. The pull of the world was too much for you. And you've been running on your own way. And over and again, it appears to the world around you that you've rejected the king and you've rendered your verdict. But you know that's not who you truly are. And you know that's not what you truly believe. You would say, oh, yes, Lord, I love you. But, but he's here this morning. The king is here. And he's looking for you. His eyes are looking at you. But friend, they're not, they're not eyes of anger and judgment. They're eyes of love unswerving. And say, repent. Stop running. Come back to me. Bow the knee to me. Say once again what you said when you were a child. Lord, I love you. You know I do, though I've denied you over and again like Peter. Lord, I do love you. Say that to him today. Say it. Because he's here. The man is here. This one who suffered, this one who sorrowed, he's here. This one who was condemned, this one who was rejected, he's here. Do you see him? Behold the man. My friend, behold your king. Would you pray with me, please? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I really do believe that you're here. And I really do believe that your word is for someone in particular. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would do your work by your spirit in the way that you alone can do. Lord, I pray that, that for the one who's never trusted in you, that today would be the day that they would rest their heart in you and say, Lord, I, please forgive me. Please forgive me. For the one who's been wandering away, who's backslidden, who's been messing around, Lord, please, may they see you and behold the king and bow the knee once again. Well, that's the power of your cross. That's what, that's, that's what you desire to do in our lives. And so, Lord, please, don't let us be the ones who look in the mirror and walk away. Lord Jesus, do your work in our hearts this morning, we ask. We pray it in your name. Amen.